All right, we got another episode of Dirt Talk today. This is a unique one. I'm really, really, really excited about this conversation. It's the basically the podcast version of a conversation I'll be having with Dave Turin at Con Expo, which is next week. We're a week prior to Con Expo, but we'll, we'll be releasing it during Con Expo. And we're talking about the difference between my generation, the younger generation versus his generation. He's on the older side of things. And if you don't know who Dave Turin is, he's nicknamed Dozer Dave. He was originally on Gold Rush for quite a few years and then has recently started his own show, Dave Turin's Lost Mine. And he's on his second season. It just started just uh, about a week ago here. So he's promoting the show and, and all excited about that. And he'll be at Con Expo. So how you doing, Dave? Real excited to have you. I'm good. Thanks for having me, Aaron. Yeah. I love the title, Dirt Talk. Dirt That's Talk. awesome, man. Yeah. Well, yeah. That's short and sweet. Well, I've spent a lot of time working in the dirt. So I don't know if that makes me an expert at dirt, but I, I've spent a lot of time in the dirt. It will, yeah. If someone Good. nice to be here, yeah. If someone deserves to be here. It's you. So I'm really <laughs> excited. We're going to get into you know a little bit of our discussion, real informal. But first, I wanted to touch on your background, and I feel like it's a pretty neat story. So before Gold Rush, you were in the the quarrying world. How did you get into mining to begin with? So I got into mining. Let's go all the way back. So yeah, Dad was a teacher and a coach. And he valued education, and he wanted all of his kids to get a good education. But he also had four boys that were rambunctious, and in order to keep us out of trouble, he started a paving company. And so through my high school years, and even I started, we started paving like when I was 12. And through the high school years, in order to make money and stay out of trouble, we started paving, and dad quit teaching, quit coaching, started this company, and off we went. And then it progressed. We bought an asphalt plant. Then we bought the quarry. I graduated in engineering, so I have a civil engineering degree, okay. which really helped me manage the quarry. So I ended up managing the quarry, the asphalt plant, things like that. And it's been, it's been a great business. I still am 25% owner in the company. Me and my brothers have bought mom and dad out, and we run a good company. You know, it's not huge, but it's it's a good-sized company. Yeah. And so we've had that rock quarry for going on 34 years. That's unbelievable. To the college piece, and I, I forgot you did have a civil engineering degree, because I have a construction engineering degree, which is essentially, it's pretty similar. Was that the expectation for you to go to college, the expectation from your parents, or did you want to go do that? For me, it became a passion. I loved working outside. It was kind of funny. I graduated from college and my wife looked at me and she goes, what does that really, what does a civil engineer do? Yeah. My wife's a, an RN. And I said, well, I'll probably sit in an office and design things, you know, and use computers and designing. And she goes, well, you're not real good at sitting behind a desk. <laughs> and I go, yeah, but we get outside some. And anyway, that made me start thinking. And when I graduated from college in the 80s, the economy was really bad. And I had gone out, tried getting a job in civil engineering, delivered a bunch of resumes and interviews, and nothing was really coming around. And we had an opportunity to buy that rock quarry. And so the family came to me and said, hey, if we buy this, would you buy, number one, buy in, number two, would you run it? And so it was a good option. And my wife and I decided to come back to Oregon and work at the family rock pit and I turned it around and 
and it became successful. We bought it actually out of a bankruptcy. And so we turned it around, became successful, and it's been working real good ever since. But your question about the education, so there's about half of, I have six siblings, four of us graduated from college, and two did not. But it was always a thing where it was just kind of, that's what we did. Mm-hmm. And then I got married and had three kids by the time I graduated from college, but it became a personal endeavor that I graduate from college. And so it took a lot of night classes and a lot of peanut butter on my papers to get through. <laughs> so it <laughs> took you a while. Kids while I was, yeah. yeah, it took me a while. Okay. Yeah. I just, I wanted it just done with. So I tried to get it done as quickly as possible because it was, it was <laughs> yeah. painful for me. Yeah, what? and you have a construction engineering degree. Yeah, yeah, they, yeah. It, it's like a hybrid. So I went to Arizona State, and so you take all your core civil engineering classes. So you have your, your heavy-duty math classes, which were just miserable for me. And then you also get a few construction management classes sprinkled in. Mm-hmm. So you'll take estimating, you'll take project management, you'll take safety, real basic construction management stuff. And they called it construction engineering. They kind of just made it up, but it's an actual engineering yeah. degree. And you have more business. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. A little bit more business too. Yep. Yeah. When you were parenting, so you went to college when you were parenting, what was the expectation for your kids and how did you set them up? Well, we set our kids up. It was always expected that they would go to college, but they earned their way through college too, because every one of my kids, I have three kids and they all worked at our rock quarry. They actually, from top to bottom, they did a lot of quality control. Some of them did some estimating, flagging, ran equipment, even the basics of doing some of the landscape around some of the offices. So they learned how to work and the value of hard work. And then for my kids, they all went to college and they all have got advanced degrees. But they were, it was almost like, look, Dad, that's maybe for you, but it's not for us. So my son's a doctor. Oldest daughter has a master's in finance. She's a high level management at a bank. And then my youngest daughter is a teacher and she teaches Head Start in North Portland, which is kind of a a rough neighborhood, but she loves the kids. And so they all learned how to work. And they all also found out very quickly the value of an education because they're like, if they don't get their education, they're going to be working at the rock pit in the dirt. Yeah. (laughs) they, They chose that route. But what I found Aaron, even with my nieces and nephews, because all of our family, my nieces and nephews, here's another interesting thing. We found that we would turn the niece or the nephew over to the uncle. For instance, I had a lot better chance of training my brother's kids than I did my own. Okay. And I would have my kids go to work for my brother because they couldn't say to my brother, hey, Uncle Doug, I've got a ball game to go to today, and I'd really yeah. like to get dressed an hour beforehand, so I'm going to get off two hours early. He'd be like, no, you're not. Yep. It's 10 minutes to the game. I'm going to let you have 15 minutes. Get your butt to work. and You know what I mean? Yeah. And they wouldn't give Uncle Doug a bad time, but they would give me. And we found that was really effective, that they would work for the uncle, and it worked out pretty good. So I feel like my generation, they go to college to essentially skip the whole work step to it. 
So they just go right from high school to college. A lot of kids don't even work in college and high school, That at least the ones I've grown up. So they come out of college, never working a day in their life, and then they get into the real world and they're woken up pretty, pretty rudely upon graduation. And I've seen quite a few kids go through, you know, rough patch after college. What's the benefit, even if you're going to go to college and get an education, you know, your son, even, even if he's hell bent on becoming a doctor, what's the benefit in learning that hard work while they're young? Oh gosh, it's so valuable to learn hard work because what you're learning too is not only are you teaching yourself the value of a dollar because had my son come out of college and straight into being a doctor, a doctor makes pretty good money, but he also has learned the value of that dollar. So I believe he's much more frugal. He knows how to do a bank statement. He knows how to balance a checkbook. He knows that credit cards, you can't incur the debt. And so he's much wiser. The other thing that does, it gives him a lot of respect for the people doing the jobs that you're not getting the high wages. He was doing those jobs. Yeah. And he found like, you know, the, some of the guys working at our rock quarry, great people, family wage jobs. And he gained respect and they gained his respect. And so he learned, and all my kids learned that, that, you know, just because you make a lot of money doesn't make you any better or more special than anybody else. Yep. So that was very valuable. You had to work your way through school? Did you? Well, when I was in about eighth grade, I bought an aquarium that was really expensive. And then uh-huh. my friend's dad, he offered to loan me some money to go buy this aquarium and charge me interest for it. And so the, the deal was I had to go work for him on his ranch in Montana to pay him off oh. in the coming summer. So it was, it was the, the best cool. deal of I had ever made in my life. Cause I had got, you know, a few hundred bucks up front for doing no work. And I thought it was uh-huh. just unbelievable <laughs> not understanding the concept of debt because I was so young, but then I, yeah. I, I got up to Montana and he just worked me into the ground all, <laughs> all summer. So that was my first exposure to hard work. But before then, I mean, I grew up, my dad's a lawyer. I grew up extraordinarily comfortably, but then I got pounded into the into my head of the concept of hard work. And then from there, you know, I worked for him through high school and then went to work as a laborer when I was 18, just two weeks after high school graduation on a pipe crew. I didn't need the money or anything. I just wanted to be out there to, to learn it. So it's a way to go, a unique way Way to to get, get involved here. I know, but I think it teaches us when you start from the bottom and work your way up, like you did, I think that's a great way to learn. And we're talking about the young generation versus my generation. And let's be clear, I'm 60 years old, so I've been doing it for a while. But sometimes I feel like, you know, the younger people aren't, they don't want to start at the bottom and work their way up. Now, some people don't, rightly so, if you've got a college degree or if you've got a construction engineering management, I'm not going to ask you to go out and dig ditches. I will ask you, this is my own opinion, I will ask you to go manage that job. And if you really want to gain that guy's respect that's in the ditch, you get down in there and you help him. Easy. You know what I mean? Because I feel like I've always had management style of from top down, but also I've always been able to talk to the lowest guy on the rung and it's from the bottom up also. And even on the TV show, I talk about teamwork and I talk about there's not a single person out here that's not more important than the 
person, you know, that's whatever delivering coffee. Yeah. It's all team and we need each other. Yep. And for me to be handing out coffee, I'll do that too. It don't matter if my name's on the writing the check or if my name's on the show, I'm still going to do top to bottom and bottom to top. That's well, how I manage. My generation, I think we've been taught that hard is a bad thing. And so we're so eager to skip over the hard and, oh, you know, education. So I don't have to use my back, but we're kind of screwing ourselves in the process by skipping over it because there's so many lessons to be learned there that you just cannot learn in a classroom or at a big corporation or, or I mean, really in later in life in general. That's right. I agree. Hard work, you know, and you can, don't get me wrong, hard work, whether you're doing bids or you're scheduling work, that's just as hard work as bending over and digging a ditch. Yep. And so hard work doesn't matter if it's sitting at a desk or if it's in the ditch. Yeah. Hard work is still hard work, but I think we need to teach that anymore. Sometimes I feel like, here, I'll give you an example. I had a young man when I was working with Todd on Gold Rush. Yep. Cocky kid, comes right out of high school, 19 years old, and he comes to work for us, and he's kind of a shirt tail relative of Todd. 19 years old, and he's a skater guy. He's got his sagging pants. He's got his skater shoes. And so Todd's going to hire him kind of as a good character. First thing out of his mouth is, now I'm the older guy and I'm the guy that's directing the cruise. And he goes, I'm going to teach you how to mine this year, Dave. You're going to learn a little bit from me. And I thought, hmm, this would be interesting. Uh And so I listened to him. His name was Logan. and, And I took Logan under my wing because I saw something in him. I saw a good person. Yes, he was cocky and he was kind of arrogant for a young man. But I took him under my wing and I taught him how to run equipment. I taught him how to the bottom up and he would do anything I wanted. And here's the cool thing about it. About four years into it, his dad comes to one of our meetings and he's visibly very emotional. And so now Logan's 23 years old. He sits in his meeting and he looks me in the eye and he goes, I just want to thank you for turning my boy into a man. He goes, I've watched in these four years, Logan go from being a punk, arrogant skateboarder kid to being a respectful, hardworking young man. And you know how much that meant to me to have a dad say, thanks for helping raise my son. I think sometimes we are too easy on our kids and we think it's bad for them to work hard. But I didn't put up with his crap. I said, hey, here's what you're going to do. And this is how we're going to do it. We're going to do it as a team. So that was fun. I mean, that's just one story of coming alongside, put your arm around them, mentor, train, and teach them how to work hard. I think that's my generation's responsibility. And it's what we owe the younger people coming up. Why do you think, you know, one of the, and and we've talked about this, one of the, the problems out there, I think, is the unwillingness to do that, though. I mean, there's problems on both sides, but talking about the older generation, there a lot of times is an unwillingness to train the younger generation and to teach people. And they think, you know, it's it's just their way or the highway. Why why do you think that is with the older generation that there are a lot of folks out there like you that want to teach, but why why does it seem like a lot of folks don't want to teach? I agree with you. And and I have I take issue with that because I've spoke about getting people into the trade, young people that are smart, ambitious, and motivated into the trades. I don't believe college is meant for everybody. But when I talk about this, 
inevitably I get a, an older person in the back row and he'll stand up during the talk and goes, this younger generation isn't worth a darn. They don't want to work. They don't want to learn. Oh yeah. And by God, they should start from the bottom up. Yeah. And my point is, I said, Hey, here's the problem. I believe the problems with you is because you're not willing to teach that young person how to work, train them and how to be an effective part of the workforce. I said, it's our responsibility. Yeah. And then the other thing I look at him is I said, I'll bet you your dad didn't think you're going to amount to anything. I said, I'll bet you my grandpa didn't think my dad was going to be anything. My dad probably at times thought that Dave's never going to amount to anything. Yeah. And, th- and th- the same thing with me. I used to think, you know, when my son was 12 or 13, I'm thinking to myself, how's this kid ever going to amount to anything? <laughs> and guess what? We've all contributed to society we've raised family you know we've raised families and we've done pretty good but it takes the older people to come alongside the young people put our arms around them say hey look this is how we do it how do they know if they don't know yeah well and that you know what i mean and the satisfaction for you you know in the example with logan is that you took him from that punk kid to a responsible human being who's going to take those skills with them the rest of his life. Yeah, exactly. And that's what I want the guy in the back row to acknowledge and say, look, it's not their problem. They are who they are. It's my problem now. If I want to help solve the work shortage, well, who's coming up? Yeah. Right. Who's coming up? I have to figure out ways to be better at teaching the young people coming up. And I think that's one of the reasons I love what you're doing, Aaron, is you know how to communicate. And I want to learn from you what's a better way to communicate with young people so that I can be a better effective communicator and a more effective leader and a more effective person that will integrate young people in. So I love what you're doing. That's why I wanted to hook up with you and Go to Con Ag, Con Expo, we're giving the talk, and to do your podcast here. Give me a little insight into how how we can communicate the hard work and training these younger folks coming in. Yeah, I think, you know, younger guys, younger people in general, and I kind of made a list of some of the problems I think of my generation, what pisses me off. We're entitled, and I hear this from every owner of every company we work with. You know, they'll hire a kid, mm-hmm. no background in the industry or anything, they come in and they think they're an operator two weeks into it. Yeah. And, and they're, you know, they hand them a shovel and they're pissed off that they're not in a machine after two weeks. Yeah. And that's just, that's yep. because we've been taught, you know, that's how the world works, instant gratification, but that's not how the built world works. So that goes into, you know, we're impatient too. We just want things now because again, that's mm-hmm. how we've just been trained by society. You know, I order something online and it's at my door two hours later now, which is absolutely wild. I'm asked all the time by kids, oh, I want to get into the industry, but you know, no one will hire me. But then all the owners are saying, oh yeah, I'd hire a kid if he came in here and asked for a job immediately. And so there's that inability to go out and grab stuff that you want. Mm-hmm. You know, that's how mm-hmm. I started in the industry. I, there was no, I had no connections. I knew no one. I had no in, you know, no dad's friend or friend's dad or, or anything of the sort. I just had to call a guy and basically ask for a job. And you know, the amazing thing is he's probably not going to say no because everyone needs people so bad. You know, there's that pressure to have everything 
figured out too. So I think the younger generation should explore hard work as a career, even if there's no intention with doing it for their entire lives. So even, even if it's for three months, you know, you're, even if you're going to college and you have a three month break between your senior year of high school and your freshman year of college, go find a job where you're just working hard somewhere. Right? I mean, even it's in mowing yeah. lawns. I mean, it doesn't have to be in construction or mining. It can be really straightforward stuff, but it has yeah. to be hard work. There's so much to be learned there, even if you have no intentions of doing it your entire life. Exactly. And I'm talking with what younger people need to do. You know, explore hard work as a career, grab a bull by the horns and just create opportunities. If you want something, go out and create it. Like I just said, you know, if you want a job somewhere, go call someone, ask for a job because they're probably going to say yes, if you're willing to learn and then prepare to prove yourself. So the younger generation needs to explore hard work as a career, keep their mind open and then work for it, get their trust. Mm -hmm. And then the older generation, your generation, I guess, answer your question has to be willing to take their time be a little bit more patient sometimes and not, you know, just sit there and scream at these younger guys. Cause I know that's how a lot of the older guys were taught. It was that yelling and screaming, you know, real hardcore mentality. And that just, that's not really how society works anymore. So just oh, talking to them like humans and then being willing to share everything they know and overcoming their own egos and insecurity around telling someone everything they know and just being open with them. Exactly. And that's one thing I tell my generation. I said, look, I've read that the average age of a minor in America now is like 57 years old. It's crazy. So my point to my generation is we have to be confident enough to train the young people to replace us. Yep. And then we have to be willing to give up that information, that knowledge, that wisdom that we've gained just from being on the earth longer than them and doing this job. But if we just keep it to ourselves and then we walk away and retire and we haven't trained the young people coming up, what good have we done? Yeah. Other than, yeah, you made a good living for, you know, and you raised your family. Come on, guys. My point is hand it over, hand over the reins. Like my guys, I've made a conscious decision to now. So let me give you my philosophy and, and when I was a young man, yeah. how I hired people. And you'll find this hard to believe. You would put out an ad in the Help Wanted. We mm. don't even have Help Wanted newspapers anywhere, anymore. Yeah. But we would Help Wanted, I need a laborer at the Rock Crusher. And then we would get some responses and people would somewhat of a resume and then you'd, you know, then you'd interview them. And the way I chose them was like, most experience, valuable experience in that machine that I, or with a shovel or around a crusher. And I used to look at that and go, that's what I'm looking for is the most experienced person. Now, after 40 years in this business, you know what I'm doing now? Now I'm hiring people and it's not, it's not rocket science. If I like them, I can hang out with them. They're good moral people. I'm going to hire them. And I don't care if they worked at a book press or McDonald's or they work for a landscaping company. If it's a person that I like, have moral integrity and moral character, and I can hang out with them, I'm going to hire them. And then the cool part is I'm going to train them the way I want them to be trained. Because so many times what I've found is a good operator, say they worked 25 years, but they learned it not the way 
that I run the equipment, not the way I mine. Yeah. And so anymore, I'm just trying to find good people. And I don't care if they're 20 or 60. If it's a good person that has moral integrity and is sharp and knows how to work, that's the person I'm going to choose rather than finding somebody that has the most experience. Well, and you had to make, and even if they've learned the right way somewhere else, it's probably not the right way for what you do since it's such a specialized application. So they could have been digging basements for someone for years and said, well, you know, this is how I run an excavator. But for, for your application, running an excavator, it's completely different. So even if they've been taught, exactly. quote unquote, the right way, it's still the wrong way for you. And then you have to go unteach them and overcome their, you know, well, I already know how to do it. I don't need to be taught again. How has it worked for you? hiring these often non-experienced people and, and creating what you need out of them? Well, here's how it's working for me. It's pretty simple. Anymore, if for instance, I'll, I'll give you an example. I hired a guy that ran uh, excavator for like 20 years. Yeah. And he, he ran excavator 20 years for a landscaping company. When I was in the Yukon and we were running seven rock trucks and we were feeding a wash plant that needs 400 ton an hour, we were moving, we moved 2 million yards of dirt in about four months. Wow. Now, the guy that ran an excavator for a landscaping company, if I told him you have to load that truck in two minutes, he would look at me and go, you are crazy. Yeah. But I took Logan, and I'll use Logan as an example. I said, Logan, I need that truck loaded in two minutes. Now, Logan doesn't know the difference. Yeah. <laughs> He's never been trained. Yep. And I teach him how to run, load that 40 ton haul truck in two minutes. He doesn't know any difference. He doesn't think that's crazy thing to ask. And by golly, I would take Logan over the guy that had the 20 years experience. Cause I didn't have to retrain him. I only train him once. I don't have to train him to tell him that yes, you can load that truck in two minutes. Yep. And so I found that if it's a good person, again, that's willing to learn and, is not afraid to work hard. I'd take that person. And I like that idea now. In the older generation, this industry, they're still, they still believe this fallacy that I hear all the time. We just can't find experienced people. But the funny thing is they don't understand that experienced people don't exist anymore. They've either retired or they're working because the, the economy's good. Life's good. So I guess number one, you know, the older, older folks need to just accept what you've accepted that Hey, these experienced people aren't out there. It's my responsibility to go create them. But then two, there's a benefit to it because now you have the ability to go take these people and create exactly what you need without having to undo all their bad habits. Exactly. Imagine that. Exactly. Yeah. And I think my generation's somewhat too proud. Yeah. A lot of the guys have scratched out a living and had to start at the bottom and work their way up. And they feel somewhat like they've done it, so everybody else has to do it the same way. Yep. My point is, no, we don't. You know, if, if there's a sharp kid that's willing to, and he's straight out of high school and he's eager and wants to work hard, I'd rather take that guy than the 45-year-old that's ran that equipment for 25 years. Give me the 18-year-old, and I'm going to shape him and mold him and teach him how to load that truck in two minutes. That's a novel concept. You don't know the difference. Yeah. Yeah. And it makes perfect sense. You touched on values too. And I think this is really important for my generation too, because there's so many, we have so many options right now. I can go work for 
any tech company, any big corporation. I know everybody out there. I see these company cultures online. There's total transparency in the world. I have a lot of options. And so I don't need just a paycheck, right? And that, you know, I feel like, you know, the older generations, they worked for a paycheck. That was the purpose of a job. Now I think we're to the point where I don't just want a paycheck. I one, want, you know, a higher purpose. And two, I want to be part of a team that I get along with. I can relate to, I share the same values with. How is that important, just hiring based on values? And I mean, why why hire based on values and people that you get along with? Because I feel like that's a foreign concept too. Why, why do that? <laughs> that's a great question. I think I like it. I would rather have a young person come in and say, and I don't know if necessarily challenge, but ask the question, hey, Dave, how are your environmental policies? Mm. Because I want to share with them to to give him, that person that comes to work with us as a team member, I want him to ask that tough question. Yeah. Because he's out there. You know what? If he's going to work for a company, I would recommend to young people looking for a job to ask those questions. If the guy on the other side that's doing the interview and that young person asks him that question, I would really welcome that question because then it gives me an opportunity to share our company policies on our environmental stance, what we're trying to do to better the employees and our communities. I've always felt very strong. My dad instilled us in us. If you're a business in a community and you're taking your livelihood from that community, you give something back to the community. For instance, you go to the PTA meetings, you go help out at school, you build the ball fields, you do those things. And along with that, He said, if you're going to take something out of the ground, you put the ground back and Mm. give something back to the earth. So you put the ground back and that's okay. If you're a good company and you want to sustain in these days, you have to do the right things. And if you want to compete and you want that young person, that's a good hardworking kid to work for you, you've got to have standards. You've got to be able to withstand criticism so that you stand up and you can feel proud of what you're doing. So I welcome those kind of questions. And I would encourage young people, when you're out looking for a job, ask the guy across the table what they're doing. What is their environmental stance? What do you do for your workers when they get hurt or things like that? It should be a two-way street. And if you, you know, as an employer, if you're sitting there and someone asks you your environmental stance and you don't really have one, you ought to think about that <laughs> and use yep, that fresh exactly. perspective. Be like, be like, you know, if a potential employee is asking that, maybe that's important and maybe that's something we ought to focus on. So take advantage mm-hmm. of the fresh perspective. Let me just touch on that real yeah, quick. Yeah. And you know what? Right now, the world, it's really your oyster shell. The people coming that are good, hardworking people, it's very competitive to find that person. For instance, I've, I go out and speak at community colleges to get sharp, motivated young people into the trades. And I talk a lot to the community colleges. And the young people that are motivated and hardworking and want to go into the trades, those folks are so valuable. There's not enough of them. So you have businesses buying for them. I always liken it to, you know how much emphasis we put on a college athlete that comes out of high school and, you know, they throw a signing bonus or signing party. Why aren't we doing that 
as a business oh. and saying, I have, I see the value in you and I want you to work for my company so that my company can succeed. And while I'm recruiting that kid, I want that young person to say, wait a minute, if I go to work for you, what are you doing in return for me and my community yeah. and the world? Yep. And it's a two way street. But sometimes I get frustrated when we put so much value on these high school athletes and really they're going to play four years of college. Why aren't we doing that with the young people going into the trades that are good, hard work and motivated people? Businesses need to step up, put their arm around those kids and say, look, hey, if I pay for part of your tuition, will you give me two years in return? I have found in these community colleges that I go help out when the community comes in, the business community comes in, puts their arm around these programs. It's phenomenal. They're full to the brim in the trades and because it's a community and the business is participating and they're going out and they're recruiting these young, motivated people. And that's what I think businesses need to do. And it needs to be my generation taking the time, going out, and finding these young, motivated people. Well, but the dark side to that, and the reason why, to your point, I'm very frustrated as the younger guy, because I see all these businesses complaining about their inability to find these people, but they're not willing to put any kind of money, investment, time into creating the people or creating you know, a program like you just talked about, because that requires an investment on their part. And I think they're just, they're all making so much money right now and life is so good and their bottom lines really aren't hurting because of the yeah. because of the shortage right now. So there's no yep. proper incentive. There's no pain. You know, people act based on pain or pleasure. There's no pain there to actually drive any kind of change. So the smart companies are investing. And we work with a lot of those that are doing just amazing things. And a few of them have been on the podcast, actually. But the majority are not doing anything because they still are. They're able to get away with it. But then the problem becomes if they wait too long to the point where it starts to become painful, it might be too late because all those older guys have already retired and then their their knowledge has gone with them. You're exactly right. And in order to stay competitive, I feel that as a business owner, I need to start investing in young people and, you know, whether it's at a community college or go help out at the, at the high school. And then you might touch that person and then, you know, that person come to work for you, make your company more successful. Yeah. Then that young person's going to get a good job. So it's a win-win if we just invest the time in whether it's high schools or community colleges and just go out and help some of these young folks and show up and put your arm around them and say, hey, how you doing? I just think I love college athletics, but I don't like the idea of how much emphasis they put on that college athlete when I see such good hardworking kids that you know nobody gives them credit for being hardworking motivated and as a business you need to come alongside them and say hey look I'll pay for part of your schooling if you give me a couple years I just think that's where we need to head and business owners and business leaders need to take that and start doing it so that's the business owner's responsibility. What's the responsibility of, of the younger kids as far as what are the values and the things that you look at when hiring? You know, if you want the perfect 18 year old, what do you look at as far as what their values are, how they approach work? What, what does that actually look like tangibly? Wow, that's a big question. <laughs> yeah, that's a big question. Hey, we're trying to answer the um, big ones here. 
<laughs> That's a big question. Well, one of the things I look for is confidence. Okay. And with that said, I want to look somebody in the eye. You know, I think the young generation, we're so the computer and the social networks, social media, it's so easy to apply for a job through a computer screen. Yep. And you fill out the questionnaire and you give them your qualifications. And you can even write a paragraph or a page on yourself. But that doesn't, as me, the guy that's going to hire that person, I don't get a look in their eyes. I don't get to see the confidence. or Because when you start somebody and you put them in a big machine and you start training them, we're going to put a lot of money and time and effort into training that person. Really to become really efficient at the job, it's, it's at least at least six months. Yep. That's a long time to pay somebody. That's a big investment. So I want to see, you know, I want to interview that person and see if I can make a judgment if they're up for it. If they're not confident, if they're not willing to engage in, and carry on a conversation, I would get a little bit nervous because, again, I'm a team person. I want the person that I'm hiring being socially capable of performing in a team atmosphere, which means you have to communicate to me. If I'm doing something wrong, I always tell all my people, look, if I'm doing something wrong, safety is the biggest thing. If I'm doing something that's unsafe and I always give them permission, you have my permission to call me out on it. Yep. And if they're not confident enough to do that, then I'm going to have to, whether it's pass or whatever, but I'm really looking for confidence. The, capacity to work hard yep. and the capacity to learn and be teachable. Mm. That's a lot. Yeah. And well, it's not perfect. Well, going, going on to that people. point, <laughs> I see a lot of my friends and a lot of people, or I get tons of messages online, you know, Hey, I put in an application with this company, but I just haven't heard back. And it's like, well, have you thought about maybe picking up the phone and calling them and having a conversation with them or thought about going into their office and shaking someone's hand and looking people in the eyes because you're immediately going to become way beyond anyone that's put in an application at that point. And it's something that's so simple. Just go into their office and shake someone's hand and you're immediately beyond everyone else. And yet, yeah. I don't know why you know, young people, they haven't done a lot of that. So they're somewhat, they're afraid of it or I don't know what it is, but I mean, the worst they can do is tell you no and to, to get out of here, kid. And th- I mean, that's really yeah. not that big of a blow to your ego. It, you're you're going to be okay. Mm-hmm. It's just I agree simple. With you. Yeah, I would agree with you 100%. I've always appreciated somebody that that has the confidence to walk into my office and sit right in front of me and say, look, I need a job, and I think I can do do you a good job. Let me give you another example. So when my daughter, Jenny, she got her, I told you, master's in finance. She came out of college, and as a young girl, she learned how to work, and she's a confident young lady. And she told me one time, Basically, she said, hey, thanks for you know raising me the way I, I am. I'm confident. And she told me, she goes, Dad, every time I come up, go into a, a job interview, and I look in the room and they're my age, she goes, I'm so happy because I know I'm going to get the job. Because and Jenny's a little bit older than she's not a millennial, but she was like, when she was that age, she goes, so many of the kids don't know how to interact and don't know how to show that confidence. Yeah. And so she was like, Whenever I see people my age, she goes, I know I'm going to get the job because you taught me how to work. You taught me how to look people in the eye. 
and, you know, show enough confidence. So that was her point was like, same type of thing. If, if you look somebody in the eye and you say, look, I can do this job. And that was her takeaway was that she could get the job. It's not all that complicated. It's no, amazing. No, it means a lot for me when I'm looking for somebody that they look me in the eye and they, they speak to me and they can communicate and they have confidence. In the training and hiring younger person, does the teaching go both ways? You know, you're teaching them how to do a job. Do you learn things from younger people on your sites? And if so, you know, what does that actually look like? It does. But I, I sometimes think I'm a little more open-minded than yeah. my counterparts my age. I yeah. would rather hang out with young people than older people because I do learn things from them. For instance, you know, we've talked about environmental things. The young people, in a good way, when it's in moderation, the environment is important and it is critical and it's crucial that we do the right things. And they sometimes have a, a better idea or, or different perspective. Someone like yourself that comes out of school. When I went to school, we didn't talk about the partnership of doing business responsibly and, and environmentally safe. Yep. We just did business. We built roads. We mined certain ways. But when you come out of school, you're learning a lot different things than I do. So I love the opportunity to learn. Because it also, with that comes a fresh perspective. Yep. Young eyes and eager people, if they have the right frame of mind that they're going to help us achieve that, then they buy into it. So, yeah, I like younger people and I like hanging out with younger people because I learn from them. Imagine that. <laughs> like the difference between the environment. My dad is, he's 66 and he doesn't, he doesn't really believe in the whole environmental deal. So he'll be, you know, throwing everything away in one trash bin. Meanwhile, his recycling bins right there, but he just doesn't want to take two bins out to the curb. And I go over to his mm -hmm. house and I'm like, dad, what the hell? Like, is it that hard to take two bins out to the curb? Are you kidding me? Yeah. But, but yeah. it's just two completely different perspectives on the subject. I want to go on a little bit of a tangent here and, and talk a little bit about what you're doing now and your show, because we've been hitting on it a lot and talking about the environmental side of it, which I think is a really unique part of, of your business now and what you're doing. Can you explain just what you're doing on, on Dave Turin's Lost Mine as far as the mining and then the environmental component? And the hiring, can you talk to, you know, what you guys did this last season? Sure. So it's called Dave Turns Lost Mine. And it's really about the quest and the journey of finding a mine that can be profitable enough for me and my crew to make money. But as I traveled around, I saw in America, there's such a, a rich, amazing history of mining that really brought everybody west of the Mississippi was mining and because of the riches and the natural resources. And as I traveled, I noticed, you know, I noticed that the old timers, again, all they were doing was trying to feed the family, put shoes on the kids, and they would tear up large pieces of land and they would get the gold out, but they had no idea that there was going to be billions of people on the planet and millions of people living where they had ripped it up. Yep. So you've got a lot of disturbed land. Now, it's not detrimental. It's just what they do is they turn things upside down. Mm -hmm. For instance, the big 
sand and gravel is at top. Well, there's not much topsoil. The topsoil got buried. So what I have found is that we can go in there and make a good living. Well, that's the plan to make money, get the gold out. But what we can also do is enhance the land and leave the land back more to its natural and start to shape some of the big piles and stuff. We don't use chemicals. It's all just water and gravity to get the gold out. And so we can reclaim the land. For instance, this last year I was in Montana and we had a great working relationship with the ranchers that owned the ground. Mm -hmm. And you had all these huge piles. Well, the cows don't like walking on rocks. So we had the ability to get the gold. The ranch owners made some money on the gold. But when we walked away, I was so proud of it because the land was usable for him. We put topsoil back on. You know, we graded it, contoured it, and he can do irrigation much easier. And now he's got a piece of ground that that looks good, and it's a lot higher value to him. So it was a win-win, and that's what I'm trying to do with the show is, one, show that we can mine responsibly and put the ground back. Two, we're working hand-in-hand with some amazing people. As I traveled, I found that mining in some of these rural communities has died. And when the mining dies, the town dies, the communities die. There's not a thriving economy. And so the schools actually, and so, so many of these communities would just basically turn into ghost towns. They just dry up and blow away. So I wanted to show the history and the amazing people behind it. And then, you know, mine with my own crew. And and it's been fun. It's one of my funnest years that I've ever had. So you mean you can do good while also making money? (laughs) Those two things are correlated? (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes. Yeah. And that's what I'm trying to accomplish. I want to win-win. I talk a lot about teamwork and win-win. I don't want to go to somebody's property, take the gold off, and walk away and then them not be happy. I want it to be a win-win. We walk away with some money, some gold, and they get a little bit of gold and the ground looks good. I mean, something like that is so appealing to me. And I feel like a lot of people my age, that that win-win relationship and then that higher purpose. It's, yeah, you're mining gold and society consumes gold. We need gold to survive. You know, gold is in everything. It's not just beautiful rings, obviously. But then you're also restoring the environment, which I think is absolutely awesome and is a really beautiful higher purpose. I mean, I can imagine why younger people would want to work with you apart you know, from the obvious reasons, because there is that higher purpose to their work beyond just making money at the end of the day. Yeah. And I think young people should challenge that type of thing. I think they should look at the company's mission statement and then go, are you are you living up to that mission statement? Yeah. You know, because so many times I remember 20 years ago or whenever all these companies are like, yeah, we need a mission statement. We need to tell the world what we're doing. Well, that's great. Are you actually doing it? It's one thing to write it down on paper. How are you doing that? Yep. And I think it's okay for somebody looking for a job to sit down and go, hey, you know, what is your mission statement? How are you doing? Are you doing that? It's okay to ask those questions. And if they don't give you the right answer, it's the worker's world. We need that person that look, that's a good, motivated, hardworking person. We need that person. And I want to compete. You know, if I'm running a business, I want to compete for that person. I want them to come to work for me. 
So I should be able to answer that question. Yep. I think that's the perfect way to view it. And that, I mean, that's, that's how we're trying to create our own company too. I'm trying to practice everything we preach before we preach it. Now, mm-hmm. as far as advice, you know, say there's some 16 year old listening to this that really has no idea what to do in life, which is, it should be, you know, 99.9% of kids, even though it doesn't appear that way online. I think there's that unreasonable pressure for people to have it figured out at 16, which doesn't make sense. What kind of advice do you have for that young person just trying to find their way in the world? What would you, what would you tell them? Well, you know, sometimes I hear follow your passion. Yeah. And sometimes I don't think that's the best advice because let's just say my passion is gaming. Well, how well can I support, you know, because eventually I I hope that they're going to get out of their parents' house and they're going to move on and they want to be vital parts of the community and, and thrive and make money. I hope that's still, you know, the American dream. So let's just say they're a gamer. How many of those kids want to do computer games and be that computer genius that, well, not too many. And it's the same thing as if you're, passionate about playing baseball but you can't run down first base very fast how well is that going to serve you later on and i want everybody to follow their passion but sometimes your passion has to meet reality for instance if i was passionate about singing and dancing i'd probably be starving i wouldn't have been able to support my family yep but i got into moving dirt and paving and and that type of thing and guess what? It became my passion. Yep. It doesn't have to start to be your passion, but if you like to work outside, you know, and you like working in the environment, this is a great place to work. You can make a lot of money. You're outside working with a team and you're running some really cool equipment and you can do something good for the earth and the environment if you challenge the way things are done. So. Yep. I don't know. You can change your passion. So that's one of the things I would advise is take your passion and check it. Is that something that you're really capable of doing? Then maybe you need to look at something else. For instance, I love community colleges and what they're doing. You know, if you're an artist, you can be a draftsman or a computer CAD programmer. You don't need to go get a four-year degree. Get a, a year or two degree and learn how to draft or if you love engines. Go get a technician's degree and learn how to put engines together. And because any more of those technicians out there, they're amazing computer guys. Yeah. Oh, That's yeah. what they do is they work on computers. The equipment we run anymore is so advanced that we need those sharp computer technicians to work on our equipment. And Correct me if I'm wrong, but you know, that first summer when you were paving driveways, you probably weren't like, wow, I am just so passionate about paving driveways. <laughs> I mean, this is amazing, but <laughs> is that, is that, is that a, is that a correct assumption there? That is a correct assumption. But yep. what it did is it gave me the ability to paving driveways, gave me the ability. I was passionate about playing football. Yeah. I loved football. I played college football. But guess what? I found out that wasn't going to pay the bills because I'm five foot ten, 170 pounds, and I'm not going to go past college football. So yeah. I had to rearrange my passion. And I became passionate about mining because yeah. it's a great industry and it provides great jobs. 
and you're outside. Yeah, that's what I'm passionate about. And I think it changed. And I think the thing to note there too is I think kids get frozen. They just freeze up. And I think you, you know, you're a perfect example of this. I got there too. You found your passion and you found what you love doing by doing, right? Yeah. It wasn't just obvious to you. You know, you're 15. I know what I want. I know what I love. You know, I love this. You had to learn what it was and create it essentially by doing, right? It didn't just mm-hmm. hit you like a lightning bolt one day. I mean, it, it it's probably taken you a lot of years. You're in your 60s now and you're, you're saying, you know, it, man, it maybe the best year of my life. It took you a lot of doing to get to where you are to really find that love and that higher purpose and, and where you're at now, right? Exactly. I don't think I could have done it sitting on the couch, surfing through the internet. Yeah, It's really doing it. And then you start to find what you're good at and what you're passionate about. One of the things that I'm just going to talk about you a little bit. I love what you're doing, Aaron, is the fact that you can tell a story through your pictures and your videos. I've been following what you do, and I think it's amazing how you're showing our industry in an exciting way that communicates to young people that this is cool. Yep. And I think what you're doing is amazing. And, and I don't think going to correct me if I'm wrong, but when you're going to college, I don't think you expected to be shooting videos of people working in construction. Absolutely not. No. And I still don't even view myself as a photographer or anything. It just happened. Like anyone in the industry, I just started taking pictures with my phone, you know, as I was in the ditch with the shovel or, you know, the first time I was in a machine, oh man, this is amazing. I need to take a million pictures Mm -hmm. and share it with my friends. I'm in a machine. This is just crazy. And then, you know, bought a crappy camera, started taking pictures, but that was never the intention, you know, oh, wow, I'm going to go make all these pictures and go become a photographer and travel the country doing this. None of that was the plan. I mean, my plan was to go start a construction company. I wanted my name on heavy equipment purely out of ego's sake and purely for the ability to go run a piece of heavy equipment whenever I wanted to. (laughs) But, but, but here I am, it's a little bit different now. But you're doing an amazing job of showcasing what we do. And again, I want to, I want to just share with everybody that it's fun. Yeah. It can be fun. Now yeah. it's a lot of hard work, but it's fun and it's cool. And I just remember like when we started doing gold rush, I always enjoyed my work, you know, cranes and excavators and big rock trucks and big dozers. It's amazing what we do. And I was always excited. And then when we did the show, I was like, we get the opportunity to show the world how cool this is. Yeah. And I just remember it's like, I get to show the world what I do for a living. Go to try and find gold in these lost abandoned mines. I get to show the world that it's pretty fun and cool. And you're doing that too with what you're doing. Your videos are great. Your pictures are amazing. And I've used your stuff. I go to some people that go like, what do you do? And I go, well, look, go to this website, build wit, and it's kind of <laughs> cool. So I appreciate, I appreciate what you're doing. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, you guys were the first to really bring exposure to, to this world. I remember watching the show, you know, in high school, I'd, I would record it and, and watch it at my dad's house. Cause I didn't want to pay for cable myself while I was in high school. <laughs> and then in college I'd record it. So I didn't have to pay for, yeah. pay for cable. But, um, I mean, it was, it was really the first exposure, I think widespread public exposure to heavy equipment, dirt, 
mining and it's been very inspirational for a lot of folks, I'm sure. So well, thanks. Yeah. Before we before we wrap it up here, where can they find your new show? It's on Friday night on Discovery Channel. And it follows the main show Gold Rush. Awesome. And again, it's a little bit different. It's not exactly Gold Rush. And it's a smaller crew, smaller, more prospecting, and a lot more history. Cool. Excellent. That's yeah. Dave Turin's Lost Mine. So it's on it's on Fridays, and then you can watch it online too, I believe, right? On discoverygo.com. Once it's on the main show, then you can pick it up and you can binge watch on discoverygo.com. Awesome. Real quick, how is, you know, has, has having a TV show, I mean, how has it changed your life? You go from this guy that's, you know, just running a quarry in the Northwest. I mean, probably pretty quiet life to being on this TV show on the Discovery Channel, one of the biggest networks in the world. How did that change things, if at all, really? Oh, it, it changes your life. Yeah. It's very seldom I can walk through an airport. And somebody doesn't notice me. <laughs> but one of the things that I've taken very seriously is and I've tried to be very cognizant and very respectful of the profession of mining. I never wanted and I don't have a lot of control over the edit. I have more control now with my own show, but in with the gold rush thing, I didn't have a lot of control over the edit. And I never wanted to portray mining in a poor manner. And I didn't want to show construction and moving dirt in a disrespectful manner. So I was always very, very diligent to show that in a positive light because I've got so much respect for miners, the miners that are working now and the miners from, you know, a hundred years ago. Those are the people that I feel a hundred years ago helped build America without the natural resources. I don't think America would be what it is. I really respect that I respect the old miners that went before me. I respect my counterparts and it hurts me when somebody says, you know, you're just a TV, you're a fake miner. So I take that very seriously and it, it really has changed my life. I have to be careful that it just, I keep some normalcy. Yeah. But I also know it's a responsibility to, to treat it with respect. Well, it's a very proud industry. And I think that comes from the, the hard work, you know, everyone busting their ass, it creates that pride. And then, you know, it's a great thing, but also has that dark side to it. And mm-hmm. you say run one bad thing and everyone's at your throat. And I'm sure there's been a lot of negativity over the years. How have you learned to live with that and, and not let it get to you? You know, all those opinions and, hey, you know, maybe that, that wasn't what I meant by that. And how have you learned to swallow that and, and just keep pushing with what you're doing? Well, if it's, the person that is real and honest and really cares about what I'm doing and calls me out on some things, I respect that. But there's a lot of haters out there too. Yeah. And they just hate to hate. And yeah. I don't know. I've learned to just ignore that. You know, when somebody calls me names and <laughs> tells me I have a silver spoon and I'm lazy, I'm like, you have, <laughs> you have no idea what I've gone through in my life. Yeah. So those kind of things I've learned to just ignore. I don't care. It's actually harder on my wife when she sees stuff like that. She wants the the mama bear comes out in her. She wants to go, <laughs> go rip them up. Yeah. But I've I've learned to discern between people that are fake and people that are real. Gotcha. And anymore, I don't know. If, I'm not getting callous, but I don't care if that guy's sitting in his basement in his mom's house and he writes 
calls me a loser and, and I had a silver spoon and I'm lazy. I don't really care. He doesn't define me. So I just, it's like, whatever, dude. Yeah. Well, when someone says, you know, Hey, you haven't done anything in your life. I guess you sit there and think, you know, well, you haven't been there. I've been there. Like, are you kidding me? I've done a lot. You right. haven't been there busting your ass for years. I've, I was there. Yeah. Uh. And somehow because they're on the internet, they think they can judge you and me yep. who are out there actually doing the work. Yep. Well, everyone yeah. has their opinion. That's the internet. It for is you. America. Oh, it is. Okay. Well, yeah. what's next for you? Well, I'm working on season three. The show's doing well. I can't give anything away, but yeah, I want to go somewhere extreme next season. Cool. Because that's where the gold is. You know, I've been working in the lower 48 and everything's pretty picked over. I want to make a difference in my guys' lives and show some different parts of the world. So what, what about gold mining? Season three. What about this whole venture is, has been, I mean, you, you clearly have the bug. It's like, you don't want to put it down. What about it keeps you drawn to it? It's really the sense of accomplishment. You know, I just know that like when, when I was crushing rock, you know, you'd work your butt off, you'd work long hours and at the end of the day, you have this big pile of rock. Now, when we work, do the same thing, work our butts off, you know, dark to dark. And then at the end of the day, you walk up that sluice box and it's the moment of truth. You look in that sluice box and if you see it lit up, the gold is sparkling in the sunlight. It's like, oh my gosh, you know, we did it. Yeah. And conversely, I've had days where we walk up there and you don't see anything. And you're like, oh, crap, what happened? And so both of those are exciting and challenging to me because, you know, on the one hand, it's a sense of accomplishment when you walk up there and see all the gold. And the other thing is, number two, is if there was gold in the box every single day, it would get old and boring. And then it's like that pile of rock. Mm. But, you know, half the time you walk up there and you go, what happened? Mm. And now it's problem solving and it's the challenge of figuring out where did the gold go? Is it just not in the ground or did we miss it in the plant? Which is fun for me because I'm a problem solver and I love a new challenge and gold mining has given me a new challenge. And here's kind of the cool thing is when I was mining for rock, I'd go to the same rock quarry every day for 28 years, right? Yep. Now, I thought I was a pretty good miner. I worked at one spot. I mm. knew how to mine that quarry. Yep. And I was probably pretty good at mining that rock quarry. Yep. But the minute, minute I stepped out, went to Porcupine Creek in Alaska, and then from there went to the Yukon, went from the four different creeks in the Yukon. Then I came down to Oregon. Then I went to Colorado. Then I went to Guyana. Then I went to Chile, Peru. I found out I was a really crappy miner <laughs> from the, you know, from, if you look at it from the world standpoint yeah. Yeah. and every single place I've been is an amazing journey and it's amazing problem solving and a whole new set of issues that needed to be resolved. So I, I love it. And it gave me the opportunity to broaden my mining experience and capabilities. How is, cause you're, you know, you have more control over the show now and you're essentially, you know, the boss, the show has your name on it. How does that change things? How does being the boss, how does being the one with your name on it, the one that's supporting everyone, how does that change the whole experience? It's what I wanted. 
I wanted this from a long time. I've always been a guy that's been a leader and a guy that I've always been at the end of the game. I want the ball in my hands. I yep. want to make the decisions. I want to, you know, I've always been that guy. And now that I am that guy, it's changed. But then it also brings on a lot more responsibility because now I've got families that are relying on the decisions that I make. If I make a decision and choose the wrong mine, and we go out there and spend six months mining something, and we don't get enough gold for the families, yeah, it weighs heavy on me. Yep. And then plus, you know, you've got the whole safety aspect. And I'm in on the creative and, you know, working on the show. My biggest fear in this whole thing is getting somebody hurt. I Mm. just lose sleep at night, you know, thinking of, because when we're working on set or when we're working at the mine, it's hard enough to run your equipment with the team. You know, you got trucks going, loaders moving, excavators swinging. You got all this, these things going on and now throw in 15, camera people yeah. that haven't worked around heavy equipment and now we're responsible to keep track of where they're at so we're not swinging over top of them or next to them or and i have to keep them in safe places and so it takes a lot of time and it's and again it's kind of my responsibility so we have safety meetings try to do it daily but at the very least we do at least once a week yep. and sometimes three, four times a week, just say, look, here's where we're moving to. This is changing. This is what you got to be aware of. And then we're always on the same page. And again, then that's the teamwork aspect is that we need them and they need us. Mm. And that's, I think, extraordinarily unique to you because I talk about safety with people all the time and they're worried about the people on the ground, the people in the machines. But yeah, you have these outsiders that are on your site nonstop. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> which which is kind of a crazy concept. All these camera people trying to do their job because they have a job to do. They're trying to get what they need to get while you're also trying to get what you need to get. <laughs> so it's, it, yeah. I guess it's that, that give and take, that, that relationship that you need to de- develop with them. How do you create that safety culture with your team? I mean, how do you really instill the, the importance of safety with your people? Well, again, that's that team aspect. Yeah. I bring everybody in. Our meetings aren't just the there's the film crew the sound crew everybody we have those meetings and then everybody is aware of where everybody else is so it becomes a team and it's family and their friends and so if you're going to get mad at the sound guy for slowing you down because so many times they have to get you know they have to get their certain things done but if it takes if we're feeding a wash plant say and you have to get a bucket in there every two minutes, right? Yep. And then the sound guy comes up and he's like, look, I need to get in there and fix that camera. Well, our point is, look, you've got about 90 seconds to do it. <laughs> and if that person takes too long, you know, the feeder runs out, the wash box, you know, the sluice box goes without, and you can start washing gold out. Yeah. So we've got to work together. We've got to learn together and we need to pull these things off. So it's really a symbiotic relationship. Mm. We need them, but they need us. And so it really is teamwork. You know, when you're working with somebody and you train them and you teach them, and you say, look, you have 90 seconds to get this done. Again, they don't know that they can't do that in 90 seconds, gotcha. but we're now training them and teaching them. But that's also very difficult with the guys that I get because they're not, 
the best operators in the world and I'm training them. But what I'm also training them is to be aware of your surroundings. Huh. Cause you've got a sound guy over there. You got a camera guy over there. Now you're not just looking at where your bucket is in the ground. You got to look to the left. You got to look to the right. And it's just more training and you really have to be alert, but it's okay. They don't know any different. They haven't, you know, they have to mine they, any other way. Yeah. They've only been mining the cameras around. <laughs> <laughs> Which you know what may I think makes you a better operator because every I've seen too many operators that wouldn't know if there's a person standing next to their hole while they're digging the hole. I've yeah. seen it. Oh yeah. They're so focused on that bucket that they don't even know we walk up alongside it. Yeah. Big picture TV show. What do you hope people get out of watching the show? I mean, other than enjoyment, obviously, because it you know it's a TV show, but what do you what do you hope? You know, what's the message you're really trying to get out there, big picture? I think it's it's the things that I've talked about is that we need to consume natural resources. And I want them to be aware that it can be done in a responsible manner. I've had people walk up to me and for whatever reason, it seems like they feel free to do it in an airport. And I've had people chew me out. Wow. And I think it's, it's unfair because they don't know in my opinion, they're ignorant of the fact that we mine and we can do it responsibly. Do yeah. we tear up the ground? We do tear up the ground. But also there's something in that ground that we're after that we all need. For instance, I was in an airport, a little old lady comes up to me. She goes, I hate you and I hate what you do. Mm. And I've seen you on TV and I don't like. It. And so we had a conversation after she kind of calmed down. I said, do you have a cell phone? She goes, yeah, I have a cell phone. <laughs> So there's a lot of gold in there. It's still the best conductor that man knows. And we need gold for your computer. You know, do you have a laptop? Yeah, I have a laptop. There's a lot of gold in that. Yeah. If we're going to continue to make these parts, gold is still our best conductor. So the smaller the electronics get, the more gold that goes in those. And then I showed her pictures of some of the reclamation that we've done. And you know that lady, she goes, well, why don't they show that on a show? I said, I, you know, that's not my deal. I'm not the editor. And so I gave her a, an email and I said, look, email them, have a conversation. I'm okay with it because I do it. I can show it. And I showed her the pictures. I think I won her over because I was able to, to be confident enough to say, look, we do do this and it's okay. And that's what I want to do. I just want to show that we are mining responsibly and the other thing is, Aaron, we get to take them to some crazy places. Yeah. And I think that's why this show is compelling and entertaining is that so many people do their nine to five job. They come home and they want to see something like last year we were in Montana. We had some crazy weather. We had some crazy people. And so it's entertaining, but it's just real. It's, it's real life, but they can't experience that life. So they live vicariously through us as we travel the world same Mm. as you yeah you tell the stories and people are compelled to to listen and see the stories that you're telling which are great well i'm i'm fooled into thinking my life is normal but i talk to other people and what they're doing you know what'd you do at work today or this week you know oh, i just did this paper or spreadsheet or whatever and i was like wow man that's a lot different i was in six states this week and (laughs) on this mine and then down in this tunnel and it is it is fun Aren't the people interesting? Unbelievably interesting. Yeah. I love people and I love to hear their stories. 
And yep. you're able to see those people in there and tell their stories. It's the best part of what I do by far. There's two amazing things about what I do. One, meeting all the people I get to meet and both young and old. You know, in our talk, I want to point out a few real young folks that have absolutely killed it. But some of these older guys that have been doing it for 40 plus years and just spending 15 minutes with them, listening to stories even. And mm -hmm. sometimes you can't even really understand what they're saying because they're talking so fast or whatever it may be. But you're just like, this is unbelievable. Naturally, I'm introverted. I really don't. My natural tendency is not to go talk to strangers. I do not want to go talk to strangers. But these guys, they're just so inviting. Once you show them a little bit of respect, right? Because I... I walk onto the site with a camera and they look at me like, you know, screw this guy. He's not one of us. But as soon as mm -hmm. I start to conversate with them a little bit, you know, show them that I'm just here to talk to them. I'm genuinely curious in their work. Then it, they just open up and man, they just go forever because no one's really concerned <laughs> with them. It's crazy. They go their whole careers and no one really cares about what they know. And then you come up to them to mm -hmm. ask, you know, Hey, what do you know? And they won't shut up. <laughs> so that is amazing. And then, just being able to build a team now that the company's more than just me, it's really cool to bring a group of people together toward a common goal and to create, you know, a mission and values and culture and really accomplish something and watch other people grow and accomplish something. It's, it's just, I guess the best parts about what I do is all around people and stories and, and this industry in particular, it has some characters. <laughs> I know you mm -hmm. know that. I mean, there are some, oh, there are some wild people in this world. You know, and if you earn their trust and you show them you care, I found out at a, at a young age, if, if I wanted to ask somebody for advice or, or how to how to take a crusher apart, really all I had to say is like, look, man, you've done this. Would you mind sharing with me? I don't know how to do this. Would you mind sharing with me how to take this crusher apart? Yeah. And you know how if you approach some of these older guys in the right way, they'll spill out everything. Oh yeah. They'll give you trade secrets. If you just show them some compassion and show them some respect and they'll just pour it out. If you ask it in the right way. Yeah. Well, especially when you're young, I've learned, I mean, I know so much stuff I should absolutely not know. I mean, just as far as confidential <laughs> information goes, because yeah. when you're young, you're not a threat or anything. And they'll just, yeah. they'll really just tell you everything because they don't view you as competition, no potential competition, whatever it may be. And you can just ask whatever you want, but humans are smart at the same time. So if you come into it, you know, just trying to gain something or to take advantage yeah. or you're rushed and impatient and they're not going to tell you anything. Whereas you need to be, exactly. you know, you said it, you know, that compassion, that real interest, humans can pick up on that. Even even not very yeah. smart people can pick up on that just basic concept. So you really have yep. to do approach it that right way. Yep, you're exactly right. You're doing a good job, Aaron. Uh, I'm, I'm impressed for a young man. I'm trying. Lots to learn. Yeah. Still screwing up daily. But I, <laughs> I, do. I don't want to take up too much more of your time. We've been talking for a while here. So I told you an hour. It's an hour and a half. Wow. Yeah, we've been going here. Good stuff. Good <laughs> yeah. stuff. I told you we would go. Yeah. I wasn't concerned yeah. about this conversation being too short. So, and I still yeah. have a million more questions, but we'll leave that for another time. Um, we'll tell everybody to come to Con Ag Con Expo. Yep. Thursday, 11 to 1230. Yep. In the education. And it's going to be a town hall. So we're going to be able to take questions, answer your questions. And I think it gives us 
we've got two guys that are how many years apart are we? You're twenty. I just turned twenty five. Yeah, twenty five. Yeah, what's that? So I'm I'm, I'm sixty le- less than <laughs> half your half your age. We're thirty five years apart. Yeah, but it's good, and we both have a common perspective. We love this industry, and I think it'll be a great talk. So we need to get everybody there. And it is cool to see us two just together because it does show, like, I don't have nearly the experience you do. I mean, I haven't worked nearly the amount of days that you have, and yet we're still here working towards the same objective. We yeah. share a common goal, love. We're trying to do the exact same thing. So, you know, yeah. we get along. Why can't everyone else get along? You know, that's, that's older and younger. Exactly. I love it. Perfect. All right. We'll we'll be talking to Con Expo. I want to plug your your show one more time. Dave Turin's Lost Mine, Fridays on the Discovery Channel or on Discovery Go. And they are mining in Montana season two. So and it's it's ongoing, so no one knows how it ends except for you. That's right. I lived it. (laughs) Oh man. All right. Well, I guess I'll have to watch. Right on. Thanks, Aaron. All right. Thanks, Dave. I appreciate your time. You're welcome. See ya. Bye. 